we're starting this brand new sermon series for the summer, and, what, and the title is what was, um, what was Jesus Thinking? And so I'm going to begin up from the Gospel of Mark. Um, just read a few verses, and I'm going to have a chance to teach, and we'll talk a bit about the Old Testament, New Testament this morning. So hear these words uh, from Mark, the first chapter, fourth verse. Now the John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, time has been fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. What was Jesus thinking? It's a great question. So every once in a while, you know, I, I reflected back my life and uh, my relationship with my kids. You know, we, my, Donna and I have been blessed with five beautiful children. And, um, well, sometimes they're beautiful. And, um, you know, and, and so, uh, like, one day, two stories, so I think uh, Donna comes to the house and she says, Harold, I, I need to tell you something, but before I tell you, you need to take a deep breath. And whatever she starts that, that's not probably really good news, what she said. So she says, well... Uh, I said, well, what is it? And she says, well, um, you know, um, um, one of your children, I'm not going to mention her, his name, but his name was Luke. And, and, and so uh, she says, uh, Luke uh, was evidently playing. I was in a hurry. He's going to ball practice or go chase a girl. I don't have no idea. But anyway, so, he, so when he was pulling out of the car, I have no idea, but he backed into Donna's car. And she says, it's really not that bad. It, he just ripped off the front of the bumper. And other than that, it's fine. And, I, and she says, but don't worry. I, I've already handled it. You don't need to say anything to him. I've already talked to him. It's, he already feels bad, but I told him to go ahead and go ahead and just chase the girl. And it's okay. And, and, and so, but I've already handled it. And she says, you don't, you do not need to say another word to him. Now, what I want, now that's how his mother handled it, but way I wanted to say to him, what were you thinking? That, that's a, have you ever had, maybe if those of us have ever, ever had kids, have you ever wanted to ask that question to one of your children, what were you thinking? Is, am I the only one? Right. Okay. Right. What were you thinking? Uh, I mentioned last week, that I had um, one of my dear friends who was a part of our church, uh, Jeff Ray, passed away. He was my age, 60, just turned 60. And, um, and he was a, I don't, I don't know if I told you this, but he was a naval aviator. He was represented our country for eight and a half years. He um, uh, flew um, missions um, and uh, was a, just a brilliant pilot. He died so young. And uh, just a tragic um, tragic thing that happened two weeks ago today. And so we had a memorial service from last Monday um, at Webster United Methodist Church, and then we went out to the National Cemetery. And um, it, it was really, uh, it was very powerful. I, I you know, um, if you've ever gone to the National Cemetery, when they do the, the um, service for someone who um, is a veteran, they do the um, folding the flag. So the flag's on the casket. And so then they took the flag off the casket and they began to fold it. And I noticed when they pulled the flag off the casket, it was a beautiful casket, by the way. It, had, it was a, um, Actually, it was a naval casket. It um, had the naval emblem on it. And I had never experienced this because I um, never buried someone who was a naval aviator. And so when they pulled the flag off the casket, there were his wings. They were hammered into the top of the casket. Wow. That was powerful. And so when I did this service for Jeff last week, I opened with this particular story. And um, um, I think maybe I shared this with you all several years ago. It was a story about Hans Bablicker. And Hans lived in, the, lived in the 16th century. So this is 15, lived, he was, it was in the 1500s. So this is um, 
you know, 500 years. Um, and so he, uh, he had this bright idea that he wanted to be able to fly. And uh, so he came up with some wings, and uh, he was, it was actually in the Bavarian Alps, and, and lo and behold, he put the wings on, and he jumped off the cliff, and he soared down to the bottom. Amazing, right? I mean, this is the 15, uh, 1500s. So uh, Hans was a big deal in that little town. True story. And so um, the bishop uh, went to Hans and said, hey, listen, the, the king is coming to our community, and we want to show you off. And he said, uh, would you be able to fly for the king? He says, sure, I could do that. And so he says, but there's one caveat. He says, I, I need for you, um, we can't climb all the way up to the top of the mountains at the top of the mountain. So can you just come down a little closer to this city and then, then our town and then jump off a cliff maybe like that cliff over there? And so it overlooked like the, there was a, evidently a river that ran underneath it. And he said, I, I'll do that. And so uh, the bishop was there. The town people came out. The king was there. Their Hans jumped off the cliff and he fell like a rock. And uh, fell into the water. He didn't die. He could have died, but he didn't. And so no one was, like, very amused. And the king wasn't amused. And the bishop wasn't amused. And nobody was really amused. And the reason why Hans failed so miserably is because there was no updraft. He was in the lower part of the mountain, and there was no wind beneath his wings. And so the bishop preached the sermon next week where everybody gathered for worship, man was not meant to fly. That was the topic of his sermon. <laughs> so it's one of those questions like, Hans, what were you thinking? It's a great question. What was Jesus thinking? The greatest storyteller, the, the greatest person ever lived, had to say some pretty incredible things about life and about our lives and about teaching I thought it was interesting, once again, um, there are times in which, uh, and I've experienced this, sometimes we, people think that Jesus said something that he actually really didn't say. It's like putting words into Jesus' mouth. It's kind of maybe a misinterpretation. So I, I found these on, I know they've got to be right because I found them on the internet. And um, things that Jesus never said, but some people think he believed he said. Your sin isn't that big of a deal. That person got what they deserved. I will bless you if you just pray harder. I will answer all your prayers on your terms and quickly. I will make your life easy if you just follow me. God will never give you more than you can handle. He never said that. You deserve to be happy. The church really isn't that important. Winning an argument is more important than winning the person. I will let you into heaven because you're a good person. He never said that either. I love Christians more than anyone else. Blessed are the wealthy. Wear your best clothes when you come to church. He never said that. What, did, what was Jesus actually thinking? I mean, when you think about the words, and this is the whole sermon series, we're going to be talking about the greatest teachings of Jesus and some of the things he said. You know, when he put in perspective, he said some pretty incredible things that changed the world. I mean, the world's never been quite the same since Jesus said what he said. His teachings, his parables, his life, his legacy. I went back and looked at, um, I kind of make this contemporary. I always kind of do my, because I love history. I, I found some of, like, some of the greatest speeches that changed the world. 
uh, Patrick Henry's speech, um, at the speech at the Second Virginia Convention, it's um, give me liberty or give me death. That was the speech that changed the world. Uh, Gandhi's speech to the Indian people back in, I think, in the 1930s or 40s about, um, he launched into about being a pacifist and to be able to change in a different way and because the Indian people were under persecution. I thought this was an interesting one, words that changed the world. El- Eleanor Roosevelt's speech at the United Nations on the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Martin Luther King's speech, I Have a Dream, changed the world. By the way, I, I thought this was interesting. There was a guy named jo- George Raveling. Um, George uh, was, this is 1963, George was an assistant basketball coach at Villanova, and somehow he w- w- was asked if he would volunteer to be uh, security for that particular event. And, and so when um, Martin Luther King got up to speak, um, he had been there the day before, and then he ended up on the stage when Martin Luther King was giving that speech, but no one actually knew the significance of that speech at the time. And I thought this is pretty amazing. After Martin Luther King gave that speech, George turned to him. He was just a young man and says, Dr. King, can I have that speech? And he handed it to him. And George kept that speech until last year. And he was offered millions and millions of dollars, and he always turned it down, donated it to a museum. Nelson Mandela's speech in the 1960s, about the apartheid and bringing that to the end. Ronald Reagan's speech, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down these walls. Words that changed the world. You know, it's interesting when you think about um, Jesus' teaching, most of us um, would probably think, I mean, what were the most important things that Jesus taught about? And when he was teaching, preaching, sharing, talking to the disciples, telling his parables, what would be like if, if I was to ask you that question? Most of us would probably, if we would go around and raise our hands, I, we would probably say, "Well, Jesus probably talked about love them more than anything else, or faith, or hope." I mean, Paul says, "Faith, hope, and love; these greatest of these is love." Right? We find that in First Corinthians. But you know what? That's really not the correct answer. The correct answer is, you ready? Four words, the kingdom of God. Jesus spent more time talking about the kingdom of God than any other topic that we find in the Bible. So what's interesting is you go back and look at the Old Testament, and you have to kind of look at our, our Jewish, um, the Jewish faith and our tradition that you know, Christianity was launched out of. And so the idea of the kingdom of God really launches out of God being the king of the universe. And so... The Jewish people pray this prayer over and over and over again. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by the commandments and his command uh, commanded us to kindle the lights of the Hanukkah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brought miracles from our fathers in days of old at this season. This is a prayer of the Jewish tradition, and they still pray this prayer over and over again. I love this. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the the universe. I, I was looking up this last week, and I thought this is pretty amazing. Uh, the James Webb Telescope. The James Webb Telescope is looking billions of years in, um, uh, as far as light years ahead. And, and so here's some, some of the um, images that they... Can you put that first slide about the telescope? This is um, 
This is actually like 12.5 billion light years out. And um, um, you've heard the expression, you know, you don't want to get the cart uh, stuck in the ditch. I'm pretty sure if you got the cart stuck in the black hole, it wouldn't come out. I'm telling you that. That's a black hole. Um, hey, can you put that next picture up if you could? And here's another image of, um, uh, there is another, well, maybe there is another image. Maybe the computer froze. Uh, maybe, there it is. I mean, that's just amazing. Think about the universe. And so if you look at the, um, the, uh, the, look at the ancient prayer of the Jewish people, God is the God of the universe. It's big. I mean, we have our galaxy, but there's like galaxy after galaxy after galaxy. And so this, the idea of God being the king of the universe and the king of the heavens, um, it actually goes back, and you find our earliest parts of this in the book of Psalms. For example, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The message put it the same text the same way. God's glory in our tour in the skies. God crafted an exhibit across the horizon. Madam Day holds classes every morning and Professor Knight lectures each and every evening. You know, I love that image of the kingdom of God. The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherub and let the earth shake. The rule, he rules from the, his angel's throne. Take notice, God looms majestic in Zion. His, he towers in splendor over all the big names. Great and tr- terrible, your beauty. Let everyone praise you. Holy, yes, holy. Psalm 99. So God is the God, and you look at our ancient tradition, this idea of the kingdom of God is the king of the universe. And then we have this, this powerful text from the book of Isaiah. And what we have to understand, um, you go back to our ancient tradition, that, um, of course, the children of Israel were hoping that, you know, the idea of God's kingdom would come reign here on earth. And the midst of, you look at the ancient prophets, like the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah, they're right in the midst of a time where there's all this calamity. And there was hope that there would be one day there would be a calmness, that there would be no more wars, and they would not be pounding each other. And, and, and you know, God has given, the children, given us all dominion over the earth, and we've done a pretty now, lousy job of dominioning, right? And so Isaiah captures this, and he, I love what Isaiah 2 says. He says, he will judge between the nations, and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not take up his sword, take up sword against a nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So this is the hope that the children of Israel, because the Assyrians had come in, the Babylonians had come in, and they continue to pummel the children of Israel. And so there's this hope that someday that the kingdom of God could be restored on earth. I thought this was really interesting, and the title of this particular statue um, is actually uh, uh, has to do with uh, beating the swords into plowshares. Can you show that? And so this is a very powerful statue. You see the sword, and it's being bent, and then the bottom of that is a plowshare. Share. And um, so I, I went and actually did a little detective work about that particular statue, and it was actually given back in 1959 to the United Nations. And the reason why it was given to be able to capture the essence of that particular scripture, that's the scripture that's tied with, between that statue. Can you put that back up one more time, if you could, please? The statue. Yeah, okay, so you got the image. You got the sword, 
got the plowshare, you got this beating. Okay, so the scripture goes back to Isaiah. This action symbolizes man's desire to put an end to war and transform tools of destruction to tools to benefit all humankind. Guess who gave it? The Russians. Back in 1959. That's a wow, isn't it? I mean, what Isaiah is talking about 2,500 years ago is still a reality today, isn't it? I, I love the image that Jeremiah gives us. Once again, you go back to the Old Testament, and the I, Old Testament says this about the idea of way the kingdom of God that God really intended to be because there's the, the way that God hoped it would be and the way that it really is. This is Jeremiah. Once again, he's going through all, they're going, the children of Israel are going through all this oppression, all this persecution because the Assyrians and Babylonians have come in. The days are coming. You ready? Declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant. Where have we heard that? With the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them from the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So, I mean, when I think about what would be our the messianic vision that we would have for our world today, what in the world would that look like? So I started to think about that, and I love music. And um, so I started thinking about the idea of the kingdom of God and what, once again, what would the kingdom of God look like, the way that God really wanted hoped it would be? So the first song I thought about was John Lennon's song. It was called Imagine. Here are the words of Lennon's song. He says, Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. I mean, I... You know, Lennon, Lennon was a, a brilliant songwriter, but I thought, maybe, I think that's probably one of the greatest songs he ever wrote. Uh, and then I thought about, here's another image of, just imagine what the world could look like, the way that God maybe intended it to be. Because you go back to the text, I mean, there would be no more pain and suffering. They, they, they would beat the swords into plowshares and their spears and pruning hooks. And nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. I thought about this song by Mercy Me. I can only imagine what it would be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine when my eyes would see one of your faces before me. I can only imagine surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? I will dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you still. I will stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall. While I sing hallelujah, will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Someday we'll have a chance to be able to stand before Almighty God. I can only imagine. So then I, you know, once again, I thought about this other song, about what would the kingdom of God really look like, about music. And I thought about this song. Um, it goes back to a 1971 Coca-Cola commercial. And uh, you all remembered it. Um, I like to uh, teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Do you all know that song? 
Okay, all right, so can you put the words up for that song? Uh, I, so we're going to participation part of the song. We're all going to sing together, all right? We're going to have fun for this, just for a minute, because we don't have a choir, so we're going to sing. Here we go. I'd like to build the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow-white turtle doves. I like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I like to hold it in my arms and keep it company. Okay, stop. Now let me just show you the real thing. Here you go. Okay, so in order to understand that commercial, you got to go back to 1971, the original Coca-Cola commercial. Do y'all remember the original Coca-Cola commercial? Okay, and this and there was a, a Super Bowl several years ago in 19 around 1990, 1991. They fast forward, they took the original cast of that commercial, put them back on the mountain, but they brought all their children along with them. And so the people in that commercial were the original members of part of the original commercial, and they once again they had all their children, and they were a part of the commercial, the next generation. And so, you know, the, the whole, I mean, that was actually brilliant. That was brilliant marketing on Coca-Cola's, uh, uh, the way that they thought that through. I mean, once again, the, the original commercial was a classic, and then you go 20 years later, you bring the children of the next generation. I thought that was pretty amazing. And of course, the tagline for Coca-Cola is, it's the real thing. So I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is the real thing. And so what's powerful about the, the, the idea that Jesus Christ be in the new covenant, and once again, in just a minute, we're going to go through our liturgy, and we're, once again, I'm going to remind you that Jesus came to be the new covenant. And once again, you connect the, when these words from the book of Jeremiah. Fast forward 2,500 years later. Fast forward the 500 years after Jeremiah said that, and Jesus breaks the bread, and he takes the bread, and he blesses it, and he gives them the disciples at the Last Supper and says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Now you connect the dots. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And so when you think about Jesus Christ and he came to be able to, and he, he embodies the essence of what the kingdom of God is really all about. I mean, you think about the triality of who Jesus is and what he represented. He is the embodiment of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be about love and peace and harmony and mercy and justice and being his hands and feet and voice. I, I think it's really powerful is that, you know, I was, you know, last, it was July 4th and it was, what was July 4th? Tuesday, right? Monday? Tuesday? Tuesday. And um, you know what's interesting? And I, I, I just got a kind of a dose of reality because when you think about the kingdom of God the way it is and the way it should be, it's really very different. So at one minute, I'm watching Joey Chestnut eat 62 hot dogs. <laughs> and that's on the lighter side. But then, you know, once again, on the other side is that there's another mass shooting. And there's been an epidemic of mass shootings. I mean, once again, there's the way that the world should be and the way that it could be and the way it is. Or, for example, Russia continues to pummel Ukraine or the Israelis and the Palestinians are fighting again, or China is threatening Taiwan. There's the way the world is and the way that the world should be. 
I was at a, a rest area on the turnpike this last week. I was dropping my little granddaughter off. To, Olivia was coming up from Mar um, from Miami, and um, we dropped her off at this um, little rest area on the turnpike. And so I was going in the restroom, and so I thought this was pretty, it just kind of got my attention. Once again, there was the way the world is and the way the world should be. And so can you show that little sign that I found? It was about human trafficking. There it was. Just before I went to the restroom and said, hey, listen, if you see anything suspicious, here's who you need to call. And I, we don't see many human trafficking signs around the villages. Just don't see it. So then you think out the idea of, of around what, you know, what's happening within the world. It's just a dose of reality of the way the world is and the way it should be. So Jesus comes and announces the good news. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to the Galilee, proclaimed the good news. The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. When Jesus was, um, when, after he'd been actually out in the 40 days and 40 nights, he goes back to the synagogue, goes to his hometown. And this is his first sermon. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the side of the vine, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scrolls, and he says, and guess what? This has been fulfilled in your midst. Jesus Christ being the, the essence of what the kingdom of God was really all about. So I close with this, this thought this morning. Uh, once again, I, I have a few slides, and I think about when I, what Jesus, what the, how we can move the needle. You know, I just share with you all, we're going to pack like 10,000 bags of these, and we've already given 77,000 meals away, and our food pantry is giving away 45 million pounds of food and we work with all these wonderful organizations but i thought it was interesting one of them was um, our zoe international and i thought this was very powerful we help little orphans around the other part of zimbabwe africa and here's a picture of our the next team that we're actually a part of and so can you put that slide and maybe the next one there i think there's two slides if we have and so once again these are and by the way the title are you right the name of this little group the one that we have sponsored these orphans the flying eagles and, and so I thought it was really powerful. Before Zoe Empowers, 90% of these orphans and vulnerable children in the class had no means of livelihood. They survived on, on peace jobs, begging, and some resorted in delinquent behavior such as theft and prostitution. And you're making a difference in these children's lives. And then I thought, you know, my wife... Uh, she passes a church in one of the poorest communities in Sumter County. It's at Lake Pan. And so what we have, can you show a, a picture? So here's a picture of our Stevens ministry at the doors of people driving by to get their food. And New Covenant is there to partner with the Lake Pan Church in taking prayer requests. And the prayer requests are this thick. Hundreds of prayer requests. Um, I thought this is interesting. Not only do they take, but they, this is some of the food that they collect. And then once again, and then there's one picture I thought was really unique that they were actually cutting hair. They have a person that comes in because the people can't afford to get a haircut. And so they actually cut their hair for free. Wow. It's moving the needle. So there's the way that the world is, and then there's the way that the kingdom of God should be. And once again, Jesus has come to be able to close the gap. I believe that. So I close with this thought before we have Holy Communion. 
I didn't realize this. We just sang, you know, I like to uh, teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Did you know that Jesus sang? I didn't realize that. It's there. Don't miss the detail. There's a one little verse that it says in the Gospel of Matthew, and I believe in Mark. And guess where it comes? He sang at the upper in the upper room at the Last Supper. It's there. After Jesus presented the Last Supper, you ready? And they're about to go out, and Jesus is about to be betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says they sang a hymn. And so most scholars believe this is the song that probably Jesus would have sang. It comes from the book of Psalms. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into the spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in him, look in triumph over all my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I, I cut them down. They surround me on my every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarm around me like bees, but they consumed as quickly as burned thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I push back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Jesus probably sang this in the upper room. Wow. Just reminds me that Jesus Christ, he is the real thing. Amen.